We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Of course I'm insulted by this line. <laughs> it's Brew. I know you're picking the Bills to win. Yeah. And I know you're picking the Bills to win the Super Bowl. I should be insulted by the, the fact that the Chiefs are, for the first time in Patrick Mahomes' career, underdogs at home. Now, they are, a good thing is, in addition to being the greatest comeback team ever, they are the greatest underdog team of this era. Eight times they've been underdogs. Uh, that's what's happened. They, against the spread, they've never lost. He's only been an underdog eight, eight times. Eight. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> wow. uh, 28 touchdowns, eight picks, a 116 rating. So literally never lost against the spread and won six of them straight up. What have the Bills done to show you that they deserve to be a field goal favorite in Arrowhead? Because that means, that means if this game were in Buffalo, they'd be eight and a half or nine point favorites. Wow. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and it is Chiefs Week. This is your week's... Well, that was Nick Wright. Yeah. Fucking... I, oh. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he gets a cringe from anybody who... He's like the Grinch who stole Christmas. I want to know... I, see, I, want, I want people to tweet at us, at Rock Pile Report. If you were irritated just hearing him speak. You know what the problem is? It's not so much his voice that bothers me. It's the way that when he talks he f- about the Chiefs. Well, no, he first started trashing Josh Allen and he was a nobody. I didn't know who Nick Wright was. And then Bills fans hated him and his platform got bigger. And so then he started growing his hair out. And now he's all of a sudden got shoulder length hair like the bad guy in Kindergarten Cop. And... He's again, it's like he's got like vampire length hair now, and it's one of the dumbest fucking because it still can't offset the fact that his nose is like none of this can hide your nose, Nick. And yet at the same time, 
he keeps getting more popular the more flamboyant shit that he says. I like that you called him Crisp from Crisp kin- <laughs> from Kindergarten Cop. Like, this is what I think of the guy. And when I hear stuff like this, it's like, you do realize, like, all of a sudden he's got a pinky ring now. Like I said, he's slowly just becoming a vampire. It's almost like he's feeding off of all the negativity that Bill's fans send his way for this ridiculous thing, these ridiculous things that he says. It's wild to me, but we are here talking about our week six preview, and that's why Nick Wright is just assaulting your eardrums to open this show. The Buffalo Bills against the Kansas City Chiefs. Time. 4.25 p.m. I don't know if I like that. I don't you mind. like a mid-afternoon Sunday game? But we're good. You're going to be in this game of the week spot, which is as we... Either bet. give me a primetime game or give me 1 o'clock. Don't make me wait until 4. Yeah. The problem is that I don't know what to do. It's like it's like in uh, Talladega Nights with, uh, well, you know what you're with Ricky be. Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands. He's. I don't know what to do with myself for an extra three hours out of the day. I usually crack my first beer about ten minutes before kickoff at one o'clock. If you're gonna make me watch football but not drink, so I can stay sober enough to enjoy the Bills with a, th- you'll have things to do. That's you, not fair. You'll have things to do. You just moved. This is fair. Th- yeah. This is this is true. But when you have a Chiefs Bills game, it's that's the, all bets are off. It's the two best teams in the AFC. You're gonna either put it on. Primetime Sunday night or America's Game of the Week at 425, which it is, with Nance and Romo again, like we had them last week, and the game's everywhere. Everywhere in the country is going to get it. It's a nationally televised game. It's not often that you have these window, this 425 window where everybody sees it. Usually there might be like, you know, you might get a San Francisco, Arizona late game. And that's only going to be in those local markets, and they won't get the Bills no, this game. This is the game of the week. It's a game of the week. Everybody's going to get it. It's going Enjoy down. It. It's going down at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. The um, the weather looks like it's going to be pretty reasonable. Uh, Sixty seven degrees, mild clouds, no rain. That seems like great football weather, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. The crew is Brad Allen, which. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. He's been pretty fair. I think he's got he's gotten a lot of playoff games over the year. At least it's not Jerome. The line, the Bills are three point favorites. Well, as you I, heard in the intro to the yeah, show. But that that clip was from uh Tuesday. Mm-hmm. First things first. I've seen the line now get down to one and a half. Really? Yeah. After that Monday night football game? Yeah. Okay. All right, so it's getting closer. Injuries to watch. First of all, for the Buffalo Bills, Trey White will not be playing this week, despite beginning practice. So stop talking about it. Stop wasting everybody's time. He's not playing. Isaiah McKenzie is still in the concussion protocol. He did take off the non-contact jersey. And at this point, like it would be easier if you're looking at the injury report to tell you who isn't limited. What, uh, Benford? I thought Sal Sports said that uh, McKenzie cleared. He's on his way to clearing. He's close. I heard it on my drive over here. He's close. Probably in the next day or two, he'll be fully cleared. Uh, <laughs> Christian Benford, hand injury, limited. Tremaine Edmonds, limited hamstring. Like, what, what is this? Kyrie Elam. I don't like seeing that. Yeah. Okay. But how many more people, like Dawson Knox, uh, yeah, Von Miller, Mitch Morse? Well, I think a lot of people said out last week to be ready for this. Well, that's my point. 
Roger Saffold with veteran rest. I'm sorry, I don't think he's played. Well. Has he played well enough to earn a veteran rest day? Yeah. Mm. How many years has he played in the league? The biggest one for me is Ed Oliver practicing in full. So we like to see. It's a big deal. Okay, Jordan Phillips limited. They're taking it easy with him. His sna- he did play last week, but his snap count was limited. On the opposite side of the ball for the Chiefs, you know they, they've got some guys who are banged up but practicing in full. Your Juju Smith-Schuster's, your Sky Moore, Michael Hardman, those guys. The limiteds are interesting because Frank Clark illness limited. Okay, that probably won't hold him out of the game, but it's interesting. Harrison Butker, their kicker, is finally getting back to work. All right, so they cut Matt Wright. That is bit well, not yet. They haven't cut him yet, but they're working on it. Having their star. Wait, kicker, is Matt Wright still on the on the roster right now? Yes. All right. Well, he gets paid for Sunday. So, so having, but I'll tell you what, having Harrison Butker for a game like this is a game changer. Right. Yeah. Like, do you trust Matt Wright to kick a fifty-eight yard field goal if you have to? I mean, he did kick a 59-yard field goal on Monday, so yeah, I believe it. And do you think that they want to have to try to hand-ring over that again? Probably not. Okay. Rashad Fenton not participating because of a hamstring injury. That's probably the—I mean, Chris Lemons, Trishon Wharton, who's like their third or fourth detective, that doesn't matter to me. Rashad Fenton not practicing with a hamstring injury is big. And I'm going to explain to you why. Like, if we're talking about defense, this I understand. You're talking about teams that are probably the most dominant in the AFC, the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. We're always going to play each other, aren't we? For the foreseeable future, as long as we each finish finish in first within our respective divisions. And I was listening to the radio and I heard Sales Capaccio from WGR 550 make a comment about how fans who are angry that this game is once again in Kansas City... This is the way the out-of-division, like, this is the way the schedule falls, depending on who your opponent is, what their record is, and the, like, you know how we do the divisional thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you play two different divisions, one from the NFC, one from the AFC, and that makes up half your schedule. So, and then they throw a couple of extra games in there, depending on who finished first in the respective division. He said, if this goes well... The Bills win, they finish first in the AFC again. They're probably going to Kansas City again next year. Like, apparently this algorithm just dictates that we constantly have to be playing at Arrowhead. But does that scare you the way that it used to? No. Not anymore. Not after last year's game. Not after what I saw in the last, I don't know, eight minutes of that uh, unfortunate (laughs) divisional round playoff loss. I just, I don't know. I think that we have kind of gotten past this idea of going there as a hindrance to the, oh my God, we're going to Arrowhead, we can't win. The place I want to start dissecting this game is the defense because it's the thing I know the most about. They're kind of an annoying little brother, or maybe older brother, considering they have a Super Bowl win, to the Buffalo Bills. And... (sighs) In, in this way that everything they do is similar, but just different enough that it pisses you off. Their approach is kind of an unorthodox one when you think about what a nickel defense is traditionally. You think about the Bills. 
we run a nickel defense against base against <laughs> unless we're in the red zone we run a ton of nickel defense and it's two safeties two boundary cornerbacks a nickel back and two stand up linebackers with four defensive linemen on the ground this is our primary defensive formation and it works for us and the reason why is because they w- they run a lot of zone concepts and with their various cover skills make passing windows incredibly difficult for a quarterback to find for him to identify when guys are breaking through them and then to post snap hey my guy is going to be open here and I can throw into this window and he can catch the ball and run after the catch so in that way our defense suppresses offense by nature of the fact that you can't generate yards after the catch on our defense because you don't know where the windows for your receivers to generate those yards after the catch are going to be. It's a, it's a moving target for you to hit. Meanwhile, we've got a really strong defensive line, and th- that kind of guessing game buys them time to disrupt the quarterback and force errant passes and poor decisions. This has been one of the approaches Sean McDermott has used to reach the playoffs every single year he's been the Bills quarterback, except for one, the year when Josh Allen was a rookie. And he's routinely had one of the strongest pass defenses in the NFL. It's like a Spartan phalanx, if you will. The sum of the whole is better than any individual part involved. Unless you're talking about Trey White, who is an all-pro. And you can see the effect of that in terms of how many rookies can get thrown into this defense and not miss a step. Our defense is still smothering teams. And we've been playing rookies, and then those rookies' backups, it's been a mess for other teams trying to solve this defense. On the other side of the coin, but very similar in design to the Kansas City Chiefs, on paper it looks a lot like Buffalo's approach. They run a 4-2-5 scheme. Four linemen, two linebackers, five defensive backs. But they do it so differently They use a lot of man coverage by comparison to zone and this off-ball approach that the Bills take. That has pros and cons, specifically when you're talking about a team like Kansas City here in 2022, who their cornerback room is incredibly young. And it's not like it happened on accident. Chris, the Buffalo Bills didn't want to go into 2022 with rookie cornerbacks, did they? No. They didn't want to go out to L.A. and start Christian Benford and Kyrie Elam. But they had to. But they had to. The Chiefs chose this approach. When you look at the cornerback depth chart, Rashad Fenton and Legereus Sneed, they're good players, and they're the only players who had any snaps in the NFL before 2022 on the roster. Like, Trent McDuffie. He was their first-round draft pick. In fact, they traded up to get him, some people believe, because they thought the Bills would have taken him over Kyrie Elam. Every single member of the cornerback room outside of those two is still learning how to play at the NFL level. And what you've seen is what... Look at the scoreboard. We've seen a few splash plays here and there. I mean, Jalen Watson with that pick six in that San Diego game, or San Diego, Jesus Christ... The Chargers game. Yep. He has this splash play, but also he's been victimized in coverage. Teams are able to move the ball very easily against the Chiefs defense, specifically early in games. Before Spagnuolo, their defensive coordinator, can, I don't know, rotate their deep 
veteran safety tandem around to give them support while also changing up their pressure packages to try to cover up whatever their warts are. Man cover in the NFL is hard to master, and it's asking a lot for not one or two, but four rookies to all grasp this one incredibly difficult concept of playing football in the NFL at the same time. Now, the Bills got lucky in the fact that Elam and Benford could both do it. I don't know. I, you look at the Chiefs, look at the scoreboard, look at the points they've hemorrhaged, look at their, look at their third down, third down conversions allowed statistics. Now, a lot of that is probably the result of having the most tenured member of your cornerback room, Rashad Fenton, who didn't practice this week. Like, he's covering every other team's de facto number one wide receiver. And that's a problem because he's not good. (laughs) He's never been good. But you're asking him to do something that just by virtue of the fact that you've seen it before, you're hoping he can be better. He was never, Chris, was Rashad Fenton ever a player that you heard of? Like, uh, talked no. about as a good NFL football player? No, his name does not ring a bell. Okay. And so it makes sense that that's gone about as well as the nights I get hammered and then demand that you give me the keyboard so I can edit the podcast. Yeah. That happened a long time ago. Yeah, how'd that go? I think you said you said that I look. No, I like, just grab a beer and just watch. You were talking about how like that that whole thing about how five thousand monkeys banging away at typewriters can inevitably write Shakespeare. You were like, you are one of those monkeys trying to bang out Shakespeare on this keyboard right now. And it's not working. It's not working. And then you got Jalen Watson. Like I said, he made plays. But you're also watching him get penalized more and more as the weeks go by because he's refs are now paying attention to the fact that he's a little grabby. Some of the things he was getting away with in the first two weeks, he's not getting away with now. Teams are starting to attack him and figure out his tendencies, and that's a problem. I mean, Indy and Tampa were both able to... Indy's not a good passing team, are they? I believe they're 32nd. Okay, so... The fact that they made Jalen Watson look bad as a seventh-round rookie corner, yeah, like that. <laughs> multiple first downs, touchdowns, it's a bad time. It's a bad time to be a rookie cornerback in the NFL, especially going to a game against the Buffalo Bills. The reality is that these guys are the weakness of the defense, and they need the units around them to support them in order to get their job done. When you look inside at the Bills linebackers, we have Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. These guys carry the load. I think they it's Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, and Teron Johnson are the three highest percentage in terms of snaps played on the Bills' defense. For the Chiefs, they almost resemble a 3-4 defense by the way they use their linebackers. They're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. They have one guy, Nick Bolton, who's a six foot 237 linebacker who sees more than 90% of the snaps. He's the only one on their team who is a three-phase linebacker who they trust to pass rush, play the run, and also cover. He acts like an overhang defender, too, in rundown situations. Maybe four or five yards of the line of scrimmage, but also attacks downhill. Nobody else plays more than 40% of the snaps because basically each one of them has one skill, and they can't do anything else. So what it turns into is a game of rock, paper, scissors. You're just doing this with your other linebacker going, we know we have Nick Bolton and he's good. And then 
on every single play, we're rolling, whether it's Leo Chanel, whether it's this, uh, I think it's Darius Harris. They're just hoping that they have the right linebacker on the field for whatever the opposing offense is calling. That's probably not a recipe for success, is it, Chris? Uh, doesn't sound like it. No. You can bring multiple looks situationally, but look at Josh Jacobs on Monday Night Football just blowing through their defense. He had the best game of his 2022 NFL season this past week playing the Chiefs defense because every play where they took Leo Chanel off the field, who's playing a Sam linebacker role for him, but he's also a rookie, or whenever they decided to go lighter at the second linebacker position, or, God forbid, they just targeted guys like, uh, hey, they saw Juan Thornhill drop down in the box and try to play that almost like big nickel roll. They said, okay, that's a safety. Yeah, we can get a blocker on him and we can blow him off the football. They just ran over or around them. So basically, their safety group is talented. Juan Thornhill might be one of the more under... He's like Jordan Poyer in the fact that like he's great and nobody gives him any credit for being great. Micah Hyde is a great safety who doesn't get national recognition for being great. Juan Thornhill is an amazing safety, or at least I enjoy watching him play. They, they, they Remember when Tyron Matthew was the backbone of their defense? Yes, I do. Okay. They let him go so that they could sign Justin Reed. That, that weirds me out. Mm-hmm. Reed hasn't been, I think, the game changer, and I don't think he's the emotional leader of that defense that uh, Tyron Matthew was. And I think they're hurting for that. But they kind of went into this knowing, hey, our linebackers are a problem. Our cornerbacks are a problem. Everything in the middle of this defensive structure is an issue. So we're going to have strong veteran safeties, and then we're going to have a strong defensive line, right? They bookend the defense. They're talented, they're deep, and they're expensive. I made the joke over the offseason that uh, you should tell Brett Veach, their GM, that it's okay to spend a little bit of money on wide receivers or cornerbacks because you look at the defensive line, I mean, they had nothing but rookies at cornerback and decided that it was smart to spend almost $8 million on 33-year-old Carlos Dunlap. With all due respect, and remember, I'm saying with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it on. <laughs> it's, it's fucking wild. I think it's hilarious. So the result is what you'd imagine. They're great in terms of run defense. Right, Carlos Dunlap is an old man who can fill his gap. Frank Clark and Chris Jones with George Karloftis, the rookie, like they've got some pass rush threats, but they are incredibly soft in the middle of the defense and at the cornerback position. Which you look at the stat lines that they've put up and some of the rankings that they have through five games, they're seventeenth in third down conversion percentage allowed. 31st in red zone scoring percentage allowed. If you're just talking about touchdowns, four to five times when a team makes it into the red zone against the Chiefs, they score a touchdown. 30th in opponent completion percentage. That's pathetic. You are at the bottom of the NFL. You've given up 30 points per game since the start of October. Chris, they, they, they went into that game against Tampa. They banged up Tom Brady. They held them to three running yards. 
but gave up 376 passing yards. Think about the lead that they had in that game. You knew Tampa was throwing the ball and you couldn't stop them. Yeah. That's that's bad. <laughs> that's for you for those of you listening at home, that's bad. And that is the weakness of the 425 defense when you try to make this man style of coverage work. It's a system that's built around this idea that you are constantly attacking the line of scrimmage. And that's not good if there's hesitation, because if that cornerback doesn't understand his role, that linebacker pauses for just a second. Well, he had a gap he was supposed to be filling that maybe that's where the quarterback, like, hey, the protection got to spread to everybody else and this was your gap. You were supposed to be the linebacker that came downhill and disrupted the quarterback and didn't let him find that tight end in the seam. But you fucked up. You thought for a second and a half, and that's all Josh Allen needed to find Dawson Knox 10 yards downfield. And that moves the chains, and that gets you in trouble. The defensive line has to attack the gaps. You're trying to get the ball out into a short area so that all your athletes, your safeties, and your cornerbacks can rally tackle and just maintain this short coverage. But with all of the youth and just the lack of talent they have at their linebacker position, I don't know. They, they fucked this up. And now that they're out without Willie Gay, they're going to miss him for this game too because of suspension. They have to go to these super young players that can't help but think before they act. And the result is they are, they're, they're a team that requires a ton of in-game tinkering to make their defense work. It's why they, they're like 23rd in second quarter scoring, whereas the Bills have been in the top, what, third? Well, Chris, we have a shutout streak going in the third quarter yeah, through five games. We're one of the best in the NFL in the fourth quarter. Kansas City has given up tw- what are they, 27th best in fourth quarter scoring, fourth quarter points allowed. Mm-hmm. It's a reason that three of the last, five, what, three of their five games this year were single score games to start the fourth quarter. And they never pulled away. They never found a way to pull away like we used to see the old Chiefs teams do. This is like this is where I think this is their Waterloo. This is where I think this whole thing falls apart for them. And I think that if the Bills can find a way to take advantage of these matchups, it's going to be the difference in the football game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So when you're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, the reality here is that they give up a ton of points. And giving up 
as many as they do, the way that they do, the pressure is constantly on the offense to win the day. And stopping it is ultimately where I think that this game breaks down. But whereas I know all kinds of shit about the Chiefs defensively, and I can explain how their bullshit works, it's kind of like the NFL draft, sobriety, women. I'm not even going to try to trick any of you into thinking I know a damn thing about any of it, about how the Kansas City Chiefs on offense have been managing to get things done in 2020 and how much has changed. But luckily, we've got smart friends who can. Brett Coleman. I don't know what inferior swill this is, but I ordered a Lagavulin. The Film Room. Take a sip. It's not smoky at all. YouTube.com slash Brett Coleman. Yeah, it's Lagavulin. Come on. That's not Lagavulin. Mr. Brett Coleman, the host of the uh, his film room series on YouTube, you all know who he is. He uh, once got called Great Value uh, B Rabbit on Twitter by Tevin Coleman, I believe it was, or not? Who was it? Uh, the linebacker, from- uh, Caleb on Chase on, <laughs> and uh, host of the Bootleg Football Podcast. Which Chris, it's on, it's on both of our. Yeah, it is. I listen to it's it. Every- both of our podcast. I listen rotations. to it every Saturday. Brett Coleman. How are you doing this evening, and what are you drinking? Uh, I'm actually really upset with myself because I forgot to grab my Lagavulin before I walked up here. Ah. It's a tradition. I, I do my Lagavulin 16 whenever I come on the show, and I completely forgot it. So that's on me, boys. That's on me. I'll get better. It's all right. So we're here talking about Kansas City Chiefs. Wait, week. do you guys you not want to talk? I'm, I made pecan simple syrup. You don't want to make, talk about that? Oh, my God. Ooh. Yeah, you, Ooh. Yeah, look what you've done to me. <laughs> look at what you've done to my life. I used to sit here and drink beer with this guy. We used to hammer beers, and our beer watch counts were through the roof. Now you've marooned me. I'm the only one drinking beer. Well, this guy's over here going, well, I made a nut syrup, and also I put uh, a float in this drink that I whipped eggs. Well, what is that called? What, not Ginger Island? No, y- yes. W- w- look at this. This is the type of shit of the, I'm talking about, Brett. It's named uh, the cocktail, not Ginger Island. I, I really I really want to get a recipe for a good pecan syrup, though. Not going to lie. Uh, it's old-fashioned season. Yeah. Well, all I did was a one-and-a-half to one simple syrup and then roasted pecans on the stove and then put uh, it in a jar for 24 hours and that was it you've so got now, this guy so roasting can, pecans brett so now i have <laughs> now i have options i can do a pecan syrup or a cinnamon syrup with uh cardamom bitters or black walnut bitters you can mix it up exactly. all, all different kinds of varieties of old fashions you, you have to understand there's a time when you drink montuckies and there's a time when you drink you know something that takes 48 hours to make when the Bills win, you know, you, you're, you're probably drinking the stuff that, that takes 48 hours to make. And when the Bills lose, you crush a case of Montuckies. That's how it goes. I will never. Like, you in that stupid hair and the fact that I could just see you happily roasting nuts. And the thing, <laughs> I, I just, it, it makes me sick. I will make you uh, and this is your fault. an old-fashioned with the pecan syrup And you know what the worst point. part is, oh, Brett? Yeah. It's going to be delicious. <laughs> and I'm going to hate myself for enjoying it. Just, he gets, oh. And, and again, all of this can be traced back to you. So, Thanks a lot, Brett. So you're phrasing it like a problem, and it's definitely not. I'm <laughs> proud of this. Since, since you've ruined my life by making him a cocktail aficionado, 
the least you can do is shed some light on the Chiefs' offense here in 2022 for us because, uh, like I said, I'm not going to pretend to know what the hell's going on here. I just see the numbers, right? I see the Mahomes is third in passing touchdowns, uh, Allen's first. Uh, he's like around 12th in yards per attempt. Allen's hanging out at fifth. 20, the 20 play, here's where things break down for me is the wide receiver stats because that's what I'm looking at. I go, okay. We all know Travis Kelsey is the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, four, first of all, four touchdowns on four, 24 yards receiving is insane. That, that, sh- it almost seems like something that, I don't know, it seems like something out of a cheesy football movie. Like, well, we got this guy and he's not great, but we could throw it to him in the red zone. But we all know he's a great receiver. Through five weeks of football, this wide receiver group, 11 catches, just 11 catches of more than 20 yards as a whole. (laughs) Not one player, not two players, as a whole. Only two touchdowns by a wide receiver, not counting tight ends or running backs. Valdez Scantling has kind of underwhelmed, which we here on this podcast kind of prognosticated. And then what I look at is I look, you look at his passing chart after Monday Monday Night's game. Between the hashes, after five games, when throwing down the center of the field deep, Mahomes is three for four for 99 yards and one touchdown through five games. Josh Allen damn near matched that production in the very first drive of Sunday's game against against the Steelers with that 98-yard post-route touchdown to Gabe Davis. And then where Diggs and Davis here for the Buffalo Bills have combined for over 800 yards... That's more than the whole wide receiver room combined for Kansas City. And Diggs has more yardage by himself than MVS or Juju, despite the same number of passing downs played. I mean, I think that last one's pretty damning to me when you're talking about how how little high-end talent this group has. So clearly they're missing Tyreek Hill, but they're still finding a way to win football games. So I guess the question is, what gives? How are they getting it done? They're running the ball a lot better, or really, by their standards, running it at all. Uh, that's definitely been a kind of a good offset in terms of, um, you know, keeping them in third and manageable situations where inevitably Travis Kelsey's going to go bail them out on. And then, you know, okay, we get a fresh set of downs that we run Clyde and then we run Pacheco and then Kelsey bails us out again. And, you know, you look up at the end of the first half, he's got six catches and all of them went there. All, all of them went for first downs and then you get in the red zone and they're very efficient in the red zone. Um, and so I think, you know, looking at the chiefs offense, it's different. It's less explosive and they don't necessarily have, the get out of jail free card that is we're going to throw to Tyreek in the flat and he's going to get 12 yards. But I do think that they've made it work so far. And eventually as they get sky more and more involved, which they started to do towards the end of that game of we're going to give it to sky more and he's going to get us 12 yards in the flat. As they start to do that more and get sky more, more involved in the role that Tyreek used to have, we might see them get more explosive for now. It's been, we're running the ball, we're using Travis to move the chains, and then we're praying to God that MBS makes one play a game and Juju makes one play a game and Pat will do the rest and you know he'll use his legs and all that kind of stuff. As Sky Moore gets more involved, we will see them go back to what they were before. But so far, they have just been in straight-up survival mode. Whether or not that's going to work against the Bills, 
which they're going to have to keep up with, you know, blow for blow from the gun. They can't afford to fall behind 17 nothing to them and still be fine. It's not the Raiders are playing against winning against the Bills. If we see them kind of, uh, what's the word, move up the timeline in terms of the Sky Moore timeline, uh, remains to be seen, but I, I think they should because without Sky, I think it's going to be tough to keep up with Buffalo. Well, so this is what I look at because we're talking about the lack of a quick strike facet to their offense. They're running almost twice as many plays per point than they mm-hmm. were over the last three seasons. That right there underscores the idea that there isn't this ability to just chunk your way down the field all of a sudden. Now you have to run a highly orchestrated, matriculated offense where it's, okay, to your point, we're going to set up first. We're we're basically playing for a manageable third down. Whereas the Chiefs that we've gotten used to seeing over the last few years basically go into every every drive with their foot. uh, It's all gas, no brakes. If Mm -hmm. we see an opportunity for a 28-yard pass, we're going to take it. Those are non-existent to this point in this offense. Now, Sky Moore is interesting to me because he maybe is a little bit of this X-factor kind of overlooked player in this offense. When they added him in the draft, I kind of looked at that and said, okay, he was the type of player that I I kind of wanted for Buffalo. Although, you, <laughs> Khalil Shakir seems to be popping. You did a whole video breakdown over in the film room about Khalil Shakir. I watched it three times, and a lot of what you prognosticated got put on display when he got his first start this past weekend. You know, he's catching it in triple coverage and high pointing the ball. He's not a big receiver, and yet he's mm-hmm. high pointing it over the tops of three defenders. You watch some of his contact balance on his touchdown catch, where a, a guy his size normally, probably with that kind of contact on his way towards the end zone, gets shoved down at like the five. He bounced off that guy and struts into the end zone. Sky Moore, when you try to put him in that conversation of a young receiver who's still learning his place, but if he can hit the ground running, you really think that he can bring back some of the explosiveness to the Chiefs offense? And do you think that that's something that Buffalo's going to have to worry about? I think they will have to worry about it to a degree. Um, and I think it's... What the, the main thing you have to worry about is, okay, is he going to beat our corners in the first two and a half seconds cleanly to the point where Pat can, you know, take a three-step drop, you know, maybe do like a real quick hitch and then leave it down the boundary one-on-one for Sky to go win. That's the play that, that I think can hurt them because he can, at least based on what we saw both in training camp and on Saving College, like he can do that. Now, is it – we're running like a, a a corner post with him, something that takes three seconds to develop. You're not blocking that Bills front that long anyway, so I don't think they have to worry about that kind of stuff. It's really more of the stuff that's that's a big play, but it's a quick play down the boundary. Uh, that, okay. That's the main concern. As for the lack of explosive plays with this offense, remember a significant chunk of the deep balls to Tyreek, and I did an episode on this uh, right before the season started, a significant chunk of the deep balls to Tyreek were actually on scramble drills. And so that hasn't shown up as much of like Pat rolling to his right and, you know, finding MVS 40 yards down the field. Cause I just, I don't think he has the same trust in those guys that he did with Tyreek of like, you know, fuck it. Tyreek's down there somewhere. I'm going to throw up a jump ball. And even though he's five, four, he's going to jump up over everybody and get it. I think that Sky has the potential to eventually be that 
you know, we're raking it up as we go along and get a 40 yard pass type guy. Mm -hmm. He just hasn't really got the snaps to show it, but I do think he has the ball skills and the speed to make it happen. So eventually, again, I think that that improvisational explosiveness will come back, whether or not it's going to happen in week six, I struggle to make that prediction. So in terms of like the other struggles of the the Chiefs offense, because when you think about the way that they've had to try to get through football games, they've rarely made it to a fourth quarter where they were winning by more than a single score. Mm-hmm. Like they they've been in rock fights, which which we're kind of not accustomed to seeing. And when I think about this, I, I have to wonder how much of it is related to protection. You know, you're playing Wiley at right tackle. Orlando Brown doesn't get the contract extension, which blew my mind because I think I, I thought that when you were giving away a first round draft pick in order to obtain a left tackle, it was you basically paying for the Maserati, paying for the garage that you're going to park your Maserati in. Mm-hmm. They need somebody to protect Patrick Mahomes. And instead, they kind of, I don't know, they, they squabble with him over money. It doesn't end up getting done. And so now you're looking at a, a guy who seems to be struggling and in some cases making, quote unquote, business decisions in the course of football games. And it's, I don't know, it, it's troubling how much of that takes away from their ability to really execute the kind of Chiefs offense we've been used to seeing? Uh, for one, Andrew Wiley versus Von Miller, not a good matchup for them. Von will eat him alive. Uh, he Wiley will need chip help, or Von will crush him. Um, as for Orlando Brown, the Chiefs fell into the same trap, ironically, that the Texans did, where remember when the Texans gave up a whole bunch of assets for Laramie Tunsil and then didn't immediately pay him right then and there. And it's like, I'm sorry, if you give up assets, you already are out leveraged in the deal. Yep. He, you're already going to be forced to pay him. So either you do it now or you wait until the next round of guys get signed and then you're going to have to pay even more. So the Texans didn't sign Tunsil immediately when they traded and they paid for it. They gave him a record contract. And so the, the Chiefs didn't sign Orlando when they traded for him. And then you know, Orlando asked for a record contract and they seemed so shocked about it. Is Orlando Brown worth OT1 money? No. Everybody knows that. But he's going to ask for it. You know why? He gave up a first-round pick for him. <laughs> of course. Like, that's so. it. You, you gave up a first-round pick. So, in my, in, my, in my opinion, in my agent's opinion, you're kind of on the hook for what this yeah. costs me. So, I guess when I think about it like that, like, that is – I could see – like they're they're going to have problems on this front, and long term, I think it's an issue for them. I think it's interesting to watch them struggle throughout their early portion of the season, and specifically in that Raiders game because you saw. I mean, th- those are two elite talents, Max Crosby, Chandler Jones. They're elite pass rushers. Von Miller is very good, and to your point, Andrew Wiley, he's gonna he's gonna suffer if they decide to line him up over right. But also, Greg Rousseau is starting to flash a little bit. He's starting to show a little bit here and there. You can tell he's taking some some cues. He doesn't have Von Miller's <laughs> explosive athleticism. But he's learning a thing or two about gamesmanship within, hey, I'm not an explosive athlete, but I can game my way to some pressures. I can game my way to some sacks. And something you said earlier is, I'm looking at this tweet that I bookmarked, Trust in the wide receivers, like because we're trying to talk about the, the, the lack of explosives. 
Mahomes, if you go through all of his touchdowns this season, somebody charted the distance that these touchdowns tr- passes traveled in air yards over the course of the season. Mahomes has three that are double digits. Three for the entire yeah. season. Which kind of underscores like, hey, we're not looking for quick strike. He's not even trying to work the ball downfield to these guys. Or at least when he does, it's kind of a wing and a prayer type thing. It's like, hey, maybe MVS will get this, but eh. he's only thrown three or three or four passes like that a game. If whereas Josh Allen has one, two, three, four, five that weren't double digit air yards. Because he trusts his wide receiver group because they've been together for a while. The guys he's been chucking the ball to are guys who have been around, who have been in the system, who he has trust in. How much of that against a Pat Mahomes not trusting the wide receivers deep, how much do you think against a Bills defense that you've watched shut down passing offenses all over the NFL since the start of the season with rookies? <laughs> with, with with young unheralded players, how much of that do you think will be a factor in Sunday's game? I think it's definitely going to be a factor because if if they don't, it, it's one thing to you know play aggressive coverage and everything like that. But if the defense doesn't think that you're going to threaten them deep, they will play like you're not going to threaten them deep. They will play like you are twenty twenty Ben Roethlisberger because you're not going to threaten them deep. And so they're going to be driving and everything underneath, like Jordan Poyer, if he's playing, I knew he was practicing mm-hmm. today, I don't know if he's playing, like if Poyer's on the field, guess what? He's driving on everything in that 12 to you know 15-yard range because he doesn't believe that you're going to see the big post backside one-on-one with Elam with MVS. He doesn't believe you're even going to try that. So he's <laughs> going to jump the pin underneath. And it's going to make it harder to complete everything. So almost like even if Pat doesn't believe it, third first quarter he needs to throw three deep balls, complete or not. He needs to put it in their head that he's at least going to try. You have because to. if he you have to try because if he doesn't, like they're they're gonna they're gonna drive on everything underneath and you're gonna get nothing. How insulting is this? Jordan Poyer could have played. This is coming from Andrew Filipponi. A uh, former Buffalo beat reporter who then went to Pittsburgh. He said, I'm hearing from my sources within the Bills organization. Poyer could have played. And McDermott basically said, nah, nah, we'll just sit him out for this one. Was he wrong? <laughs> well, no. And that's it. It's like, that's how crazy this past defense has been this year. These young kids that they've brought up in the system, either as rookies or just as like second and third year players, they've been lights out in terms of their ability to orchestrate this kind of because the, this is the defense is very much a phalanx. It's the, the sum is better than any individual part, the way that they all play together. And so with that in mind, I watched this and then, you know, we just got done boring our listeners to death with the construction of the chiefs defense. They're a very different. Animal. <laughs> it's a whole different ball game on the other side of the fence. So to your point, if they want to keep pace in this, they almost have to scare our defense. You have mm-hmm. to. It's going to take a couple moonshots, even if you're not going to connect like uh, like uh, Allen did in that first drive where you hit the the post route from your own two yard line. You still have to throw it to make their safeties think to themselves, "All right, I better stay home a little bit. I better yeah. not get over aggressive because otherwise this could end poorly." Now you touched on something earlier because Pacheco 
Pacheco's been pissing me off because we drafted James Cook in the second round. And everyone's thinking, all right, we got this great value at running back. He's going to be a steal because we watched him catch the ball. We watched running him back. run. Yes. <laughs> he says facetiously. And I just, I was like, okay, well, at least he can do. I was like, okay, maybe he can run a little bit and he'll surprise people. No, no, hasn't really. I mean, okay, he, he had a nice touchdown run once in a game so far through five weeks. But he's been a flop. And no Bills fan will argue with me about that. If you do, at Rockpile Report, come at me. I don't give a shit. I'll t- I'll, we'll have the conversation. He's been a flop. Meanwhile, this Pacheco kid in the seventh round is just head down. What I see from him, there's not a lot of... There's a lot of nuance within what looks like a very straightforward rushing game. Like, he puts his head down and he moves. But he's quick. And he's got... like It almost reminds me a little bit of like a... Uh, like, you got called great value B-Rabbit. He's like a great value uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Just in his ability to get shifty on these uh, in-between-the-tackle runs. And it bothers me the way it's been working because it's been highly efficient. It's What do you think with the makeup of the Bills' defensive line and the way we've been just smothering, smothering rushing attacks? No matter who the team is, no matter what your offensive line looks like, whether it's Derrick Henry, whether it's Chase Edmonds, whether it's Najee Harris for 1.8 yards per carry, the way the defensive line is built, do you think that that matchup favors Buffalo, considering it's been one of the things that's been kind of carrying the offense? See, it's really funny that Pacheco's the one you brought up when two rounds after Cook, you know who went in the draft? Damian Pierce. Can you imagine the Bills with Damian Pierce right now? I don't. Even Would they even lose a game? I I, I don't know. It's I sick. don't know. It's making. It's fun. I love SEC football, and I I maintain this. Whenever the Bills draft a guy that I've watched be successful in the SEC, I get super fired up about it, and they always disappoint me. Darius <laughs> fucking smoked his way out of the NFL. He literally put a boat captain. He got his paycheck. They, they go, okay, here's the bag. And he put a boat captain's hat on and lit a joint. And we were all like, oh, shit. All right, well, he's gone. <laughs> he's out of here. Uh, wh- what about Reggie Reg? Oh, no, we had to trade him away because he was terrible. Uh, wh- wh- <laughs> Cyrus Quanjo. Every time we do this, it blows up in our face. So in terms of the rushing attack, when you look at how that lines up against what Buffalo brings to the table in their front seven on the defensive line, do you think that that's going to be able to sustain them the way it has in these previous games? Like in terms of like for both sides or? Are no, you talking I'm talking about, about the Chiefs trying to stay afloat on offense in this game because they've been using their running game, to your point, to kind of buoy the lack of a deep passing game. Yeah. They just want to get into meaning. Let's get into a manageable third down. So if that's what they're shooting for, but the Bills front seven is playing this well, who do, who do you think this matchup favors? You know, it's it's so funny because I, I always know when it's uh, Chiefs-Bills week because I get uh, – I get uh, I, I go on KCSN and I go on Rockpile Report. <laughs> this is like the matchup, and everybody's like, okay, it's time for you to talk about Matt Milano again. And I nod my head in agreement. I say, yes, it's time to talk about Matt Milano again because Matt Milano is like the key to this matchup every single freaking time. Um, but what's interesting is it's not just Matt Milano this year. Tremaine Edmonds is also having – in my opinion, the best year of his career, starting to play like the guy that they hoped he would be. Now, there's been some nitpicky issues here and there, but mm-hmm. on the whole, Tremaine Edmonds, pretty good. 
And I think that if you look at this linebacking duo of Milano and Edmonds with how aggressively they're playing, how great they are getting off blocks. I mean, Edmonds is just shooting in the backfield every single week at this point, just being a missile, gumming things up. I think it's going to be really hard for the Chiefs to move the ball on the ground unless somehow Edmonds reverts back to the previous three years where he's taking the cheese on stuff and running himself out of fits and, you know, had nothing to do with talent. Obviously it's just previous Edmonds years. He had, he had issues being in the right place at the right time as prescribed by the defense they were in this year. He's been in the right place at the right time a lot more. So if he is doing that and he's just playing his assignment, it's going to be really hard for the chiefs to run the ball. If they can use a whole bunch of motion and different formations and get him to take the cheese and just, be a little half step off, they might be able to get a few cracks in there. Uh, as for who is going to outproduce who, I, I this kind of feels a little bit more like a Pacheco game than a Clyde <laughs> game. Um, I would anticipate that as the season goes on, their carry split will get a little bit more even. Um, but I, on the whole, if they rushed for more than 80 combined yards, I'd be surprised. <sighs> Your key to victory, if there was one, for the Buffalo Bills. Oh, okay. So looking at the Chiefs' defense, and I actually have all their coverage data pulled up right now. On first down, they don't play middle field closed structures that often. And for the audience at home, middle field closed structure uh, is single high safety. If middle field is open, it's two high safeties. So there's kind of a gap in the middle. Middle field closed is there's a, a single high post safety. So they close the middle of the field. They don't do a whole lot of that on first down. Their cover three rate on first down is 14.1%. You compare that to Gus Bradley's defense, which is like 67%. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of quarter, quarter half, they're only at 11.3%. In terms of cover one, they're at 17.6%. Their most predominant coverages on first down, which is the running down, is cover two at 19.7 and quarters at about 24%. So figure about half the time they're going to be in a too high safety structure. Mm-hmm. That's going to go up against Buffalo. You know why? <laughs> they don't think you're going to run them out of it because no. you didn't run Miami out of it. You no. trusted Josh to drop back 70 times. So if you thought they played a lot of cover two and quarters on first down before, boy, you got a whole other thing coming. And here's the thing. And I did, I did the video on how Miami slowed down uh, the Bills yep. passing offense. And I got a whole, hold on. I got to go on a tangent here. So many freaking Bills fans were saying, oh, but they got slowed down because of the temperature and all the injuries and yada, yada, yada. I was there in the stadium. I know it was hot. I was sweating my dick off. It wasn't just that. The Bills schematically played a great game. And I'm sorry, 100 degrees doesn't make you throw picks into cover two by yeah. trying to hit a whole shot far hash. That 100 degrees doesn't make you do that. I get the protection was bad because 60% of the offensive line was hurt. 100 degrees doesn't make you have five picks dropped. The the Dolphins had a good scheme. They won the game. It's okay to acknowledge that. Everybody else has had terrible scheme against Buffalo, and they kicked the shit out of them. Yep. But Miami, that game specifically, (laughs) got into cover two in a lot of different fancy ways. They made Josh think. They got after him with four. He had some picks dropped. It happens. The thing is, Kansas City gets into their cover two looks in a very similar way of Miami. A lot of crazy rotations, a lot of showing blitz and backing out. They're going to try to do the same stuff Miami did. 
The question is, will or will Buffalo run the ball to punish them for that? It remains to be seen if they will. I hope they do. I hope that this is a Devin Singletary game. But if we get to the fourth quarter and Josh has 50 attempts and Devin has eight attempts, yeah, and it's like a 23-20 game, I'm going to be pissed because I'm going to know that this could have gone a lot differently. Brett, you're one of the best. You're one of our favorite guests. You, Even though you have ruined me with this cocktail making for just <laughs> such and such over here, where can people follow your work on Twitter? Where can they find the film room? What do you guys have coming up on Bootleg? Uh, so you can find me on YouTube at Brett Coleman. It's uh, K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. I know it's very German spelling. And obviously I got the Bootleg Football Podcast uh, as well, which we just dropped an episode where we dedicated an entire segment to the Bills offense beating the crap out of Pittsburgh. Uh, I, know, I, I get so many comments saying, you're a Bills hater. It's like, no, I'm a Bills realist. <laughs> exactly. That's why <laughs> I'm we a Bills love realist. Uh, but I have another episode coming out pretty soon on uh, the shovel pass hysteria that's taken over the NFL in the low red zone. The Bills have even tried it themselves. Yep. But pretty much the only team it works for is the Chiefs. Yes. And so I'm going to go over all the different ways that, that teams run it and why the Chiefs are more successful than everybody else at running it. And also, uh, a side note of, of how the Bills run it and why I think they don't do it the right way. Brett Coleman, he's on Twitter, at Brett Coleman. Follow him on YouTube, The Film Room. I can't Bo- believe he wants to fucking... He, bootleg th- Football Podcast with EJ Snyder. What's this almond nonsense? What, what are you roasting? Pecan? Yeah, I made a pecan syrup for cocktails. You're literally roasting nuts in the oven with that stupid hair, and I can just see the stupid like I can see the smile on your face, just this little satisfied. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, at some point, I will make you a old fashioned with uh, black walnut bitters and pecan syrup, and you're gonna go, son of a bitch. You know what the problem is? Delicious. If you just gave me the drink and didn't tell me what was in it, I wouldn't be so offended. But the fact that you know every single ingredient, you just seem so pleased with yourself. I think I told you that one day. I watched you make a, a cocktail in this big, fancy hurricane glass, and you had you had tiny little bits of, what is it, pebble ice? Yeah, it's pebble ice. Because you're a and I just watched you slide your straw into it, and you had such a ple- like you looked so pleased with yourself. I just wanted to break something in your house just it to was, bring you down a notch. It was delicious. I, I, it just bothers me. It bothers me. See, <laughs> all right. I could talk all night about all of the things that dr- just you do that drive me crazy, but instead, I'd rather talk about our keys to victory this week. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I think Gabe Davis and Khalil Shakira are a huge part of this game. Ooh, do I got to pull up that stat if you're going to talk about Gabe Davis? Bring it up. In two games last year, Diggs got held to seven yards in the playoff matchup and 69 yards in the Sunday Night Football game. And 61 of that 69 came on one busted coverage. You're talking about the most targeted wide receiver in football, Literally against this team, they know what they're doing. They they know that they have to take Stefan Diggs away if they're going to have a puncher's chance. So a lot of Steve Spagnuolo's time gets spent on imagining up ways to do that. And since Sanders isn't here to score a pair of touchdowns like he did last last year on Sunday Night Football, someone else is going to have to keep the wheels of the offense turning. Now, in the playoffs, it was just this idea of let Gabe Davis go. 
<laughs> because they have a safety back there named uh, Daniel Sorensen who stinks on ice. This guy's terrible. And this guy, he can he can play more. Gabe Davis could play more physically than him. He was faster than him. He had better instincts than him. And he abused Daniel Sorensen as a safety when the wide receivers let him get off the line of scrimmage trying to press him because he's too big. He's too physical to press at the line. He would get into their secondary and get loose. In fact, Chris, am I weird? Like, is this weird of me to think? But I think that that playoff game probably got Daniel Sorensen fired. Probably. Because this offseason, one of the first things they did was vote him out. Like, it was the uh, Survivor uh, Travel Council. They were just like, guess what? You're out. You're off the island. You're t- you're t- they, they blew out his torch, and they shipped him away. All right, here's the stat. Gabe Davis, the last two games where Jim Nance and Romo have called the Bills games, Gabe Davis is 11 catches, 372 yards, six touchdowns, 33.3 yards per carry. <laughs> so... That's a stat to look out for on Sunday with Romo and Nance in the booth. So you, not only does he have big games on these types of stages, but I think that there's a lot of people who come into this week going, well, obviously Dawson Knox. But I don't know. I think that they're going to do a lot to take him away now, given that we don't have an Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, Legereus Sneed is all over the place. He plays a lot of slot. He's probably going to be tasked with splitting between Knox and McKenzie in coverage. If McKenzie, I don't know. I think that that's, it's not an unwinnable task in coverage, but I think it's going to be difficult. Meanwhile, Fenton is a weak link and they know it. And if he doesn't play, that means that they're going to have rookies and Trent McDuffie trying to come back in off the IR, not having played in a month. I think that there's a lot of hay to be made out there on the outside of this defense. In theory, they could use Justin Reed, right? Because Juan Thornhill, I expect to see him kind of shadowing Stephon Diggs. I think that they're going to put whoever they think their best coverage cornerback who's available that day on Stephon Diggs at all times, and they're going to give him safety help over the top consistently. Maybe even chip him with some linebackers shading in coverage to take away his ability to make like an in-cut. In that way, you're going to have matchups elsewhere, but I also see them being able to take away Knox. Have, has Knox made an impact in the game so far this season? No. And has, I know that because he's on my fantasy team. Has Davis? Yes. Okay. Has Khalil Shakir? He did on Sunday. You think about think back to that Pittsburgh game. He's illustrated that he can make a number of plays that you wouldn't expect for a small guy his size. That that, that catch and triple coverage. <laughs> Like he's what five eleven something like that. He's five eleven, but you, get, you can play he big. Jumped three guys to high point of football and triple coverage. Then on his touchdown, he uses his four four speed to get behind the safety, makes a slightly contested catch, and the safety hit him. And usually that's where you'd see a small receiver go down. Instead, he's got contact balance and just bounces off of him into the end zone. The way you see Singletary kind of bounce off glancing blows as he's running between the tackles. When you look at all of the Bills' threats that Casey has to game plan for, I don't know. I just see that I, – I think that these two guys are going to be the the factor 
right? They're going to be the X factor for the Buffalo Bills. If Shakir and Davis can make plays, it's going to shake them out of whatever coverage they have covering up digs. And then that's that's the nail in the coffin right there. Because if you can get them, because they're going to play two high looks like Brett was talking about. If you can get them to commit more heavily to covering Gabe Davis, <laughs> and then you hit them underneath with Khalil Shakir, maybe James Cook, if he can ever hang under the fucking ball, this is where you can start to see this offense really punish them. But the big one's going to be Josh Allen against the Casey pass rush. It's, it's, I don't know. The pass rush for Kansas City has always kind of been the struggle for the Buffalo Bills, hasn't it? Yeah. I don't know. It's like they knew that their pitfalls to having so many rookies in the secondary this year was going to be whether or not they, like, we know that they're going to struggle in man coverage. So we're going to have to spend all this money on the defensive line. So what they have is Carlos Dunlap and Frank Clark and Chris Jones. And what they can do is they can throw a lot of really great. George Karloftis hasn't been bad as a rookie. They can throw a lot of really multifaceted pass rushers at your offensive line at any given time. It's it's bad. You know, it's, it's really bad for your football team unless they fall on your quarterback while executing a strip sack and brace themselves and whatever. Chris, the fucking hit on the quarterback thing is ridiculous. Yeah. Do you think that we're going to catch some of the flack from that? Oh, yeah. Better I be almost t- feel like there's a makeup call waiting. Like, there's going to be something bad. Better be two-hand touch. There's going to be something bad that happens to the Bills in this game because of that call. I don't know why. I just have that feeling in the pit of my stomach. We have to make our peace as a fan base with this, with the fact that our offensive line hasn't been great in mitigating pressure. We've allowed 10 fewer quarterback hurries than the Jets. The fucking Jets, right? So after you listen to us, Chris, Badger, Scott Mason, on the AFC round, AFC's Roundup podcast over the last month and a half about the state of their offensive line, the injury streak, everything else, that's not good, is it? No. Literally, the only reason we're still afloat is because our quarterback is this unreal athlete who can avoid pressure just with his natural athleticism and still keep his eyes downfield and make big plays. That's going to be another key to this football game is can Josh Allen diagnose pressure at the line of scrimmage, make adjustments to it on the fly, and then survive. (laughs) Just survive that first wave. Because they're going to send the house early. I think they're going to try to do everything they can to just... They've sat back and been passive three games in a row. They've trailed in two of those games right out of the gate. I don't think that Spagnuolo is going to allow that to happen. They're going to try to get after Josh Allen early because they know their coverage units aren't good. And against the NFL's leading passer, it's not going to, it's just not going to work out. It's going to be on Josh Allen to simply use his physical tools and survive that first wave of pressure and find those plays at the second level, at the third level. They'll be there if he can do that. I think the biggest one, there's one I'm going to quote, close the show with. I was going to talk, we, is I was it gonna, something that we used to use in hockey? What's that? It's Miller time. Well, Von Miller, <laughs> Von Miller is huge, right? Because these, these are the types of games he was signed for, right? Not just for his million-dollar smile, but to go out there 
Fucking go. Listen, you're making millions. Go out there and make million dollar plays. Go out there and uh, closing time. Go out there and make the plays that in that playoff game, we, what, Chris, nine missed sack attempts the Buffalo Bills finished that playoff game with? Yep. This is why Von Miller's here. Is because we had guys who were getting pressure. They were getting close, but they couldn't get home. We needed to go get a sack artist. Well, we did that. Can we speak to Mark Smith right now? Do you know what you just said? <laughs> what? Closing time. Put that on the playlist. Oh, Semisonic closing time. If you Do Host is still the official closing time song of the Rock Power Report podcast. I don't know why it's Do Host. But now it just seems so normal, I don't want to get rid well, of it. It should be semi-sonic closing time. The big one is that Sean McDermott, Ken Dorsey, and Leslie Frazier have to have a four-quarter game plan. The Kansas City offense scores points. Their defense hemorrhages points. It's the reason that they fluctuated so much between blowouts and games that are in the basically get resolved in the final two minutes. If you... If... The, I think about this... The Raiders had a 17-point lead and pissed it away. Yep. The Baltimore Ravens, like we've seen that. The Baltimore Ravens had a 17-point lead over the Bills. And a 21-point lead over the Dolphins. And we came back and got them. Just halftime adjustments. Just in-game adjustments. Right? That's how. That's the name of the game. Yep. Well, Steve Spagnuolo does it. He does it well. And Andy Reid has shown that when the when situations call for it, he goes, hey, we can't pass the ball worth a damn in the first half. Fine, we'll go run heavy. And then uh, McKinnon rips off a 30-yard run, and it sparks the comeback. The rest is history. It's going to take in-game adjustments to the adjustments that these two make because they do it constantly. They do it better than most people in the NFL. And you think about it, we haven't had to do that much. We haven't had to coach a four-quarter game. What, we're desperately trying to come from behind in two games, and in the other two, Josh Allen's literally just catching a tan on the bench. Yep. In the fourth quarter. We're going to get the kitchen sink from the defensive coordinator. Two high looks, fluctuations between zone and man, man press on third and long when they think they can get away with it. Blitz looks with robber elements built in there. Safety's looking to make plays. Their, their defense only has one interception this year. One single interception. They're not... They're struggling in so many places that they haven't traditionally. These are the types of games where these coaches are going to get creative, and you're going to see them. Everyone's going to go, well, look at the numbers. They're going to be shit. And then they're going to show up, and they're going to play a game where everyone goes, oh, my God, why are they so much... Because they have great coaches, so what our coaching staff has to do is rise to the occasion. Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey can't allow himself to get lulled into a game where his offense works for three quarters and then falls asleep at the wheel in the fourth. He's going to have to remain creative and be ready for everything Steve Spagnuolo is going to cook up over the course of four quarters. Leslie Frazier, on the other hand, when Andy Reid decides, hey, they're covering, they're playing coverage, let's run the football. He's got to have an answer for that. He has to, or else this team will fail. And Sean McDermott, situational coaching, it's going to be on him. Situational play calling, where he takes his timeouts, what he chooses to challenge. If you want to beat teams like Kansas City, you have to do all of these. 
Kansas City has had one of the worst. Chris, isn't this one of the worst starts statistically to a season they've had in the last three or four years? Maybe. I don't know what their stats were the previous year. Well, they've been offensively dominant the last few years. Yep. And at the same time, they're still 4-1 and one just like us. That tells you their coaches are carrying the load for a lack of talent on the roster while their young talent learns, whether it's young talent on the offensive line, offensive tackles who are still acclimating to the system, whether it's running backs who are still kind of finding their finding their way and the team's figuring out how to use them, cornerbacks who are still learning how to play at the NFL level. I, They're still learning in their 4-1. and one. The Bills are kind of in the same boat. Their coaching staff has proven they can come out on top. It's going to be on our coaches to have a game plan for all four quarters and to know that when they pivot, so should we. Don't be like the Raiders. <laughs> don't don't have a tool. What is it, twenty to ten, and you end up losing twenty nine to thirty. Yeah, it's fucking embarrassing. They can't, and it's it's not going to be easy. And a lot like the Ravens game, there is a lot at stake here. You have a natural tiebreaker for playoff seating. Another AFC win would help in making up for the Bills' loss to Miami. It would also just be a proof of concept of sorts that we have effectively retooled this roster and we've learned from our sins of the past when it comes to dealing with the team that we inevitably will meet. It's like the old uh, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning years. You know you're going to run into that team more like more often than not. So retool your roster so that when you do run into them, both in the regular season and in the postseason, you can handle them. You Winning want to- this game would go a long way towards proving that our GM knows what he's doing when it comes to trying to solve this problem. You want some percentages? Sure. From our friend Aaron Schatz, and I use that term loosely. <laughs> if Buffalo wins on Sunday, 68% chance we get the number one seed. Kansas City wins, 35% chance Kansas City gets it, 30% Buffalo gets it. And I should say, if Buffalo wins Sunday, this is, says Kansas City has a 6% chance to get the first seed. There's a lot on the line here. I think both statistically and also just mentally, right? If you want to go the rest of the season with a soft back half of the schedule, this is the last tough game the Bills have. I mean, call Green Bay what you want. Green Bay is not playing great football. This is the last tough football game the Bills have for probably a month. Win this one, you start to buy into this idea that the Bills can be one of these elite teams that runs, has a, has a really great run. Maybe they drop a game here or there, but they are the AFC's dominant team. Despite that ridiculous loss in Miami, win this one and you become the dominant team in the AFC. Lose this one and it'll just be chalked up as eh, they're the same old Bills. The same old Bills, they'll still find ways to bungle this and make themselves an also-ran and will be playing this game in Arrowhead again in the playoffs. Hopefully they can pull it out. I can't wait to see it, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been your Week 6 Preview.